This is season three of the Dundeal Football Podcast. And in this season, I'm going to be talking mainly about my football industry and covered course I did on YouTube um, towards the beginning of this year. I touch on loads of interesting topics, including football transfers, player contracts, boot deals explained, what goes into an image rights contract, FFP, player football agency, third party investments, etc. Hope there's loads of good content for you to get stuck into. And as always, let me have your comments, your feedback. I very much hope you enjoy it. Happy listening. Day two, talking about, uh, or the second week rather, talking about football agents. We had a bit of an overview about football agents generally yesterday. And what I wanted to do today was specifically talk about one particular area of the agency business, probably one of the most, if not most important area, which is um, the actual representation contract. I'm going to mainly focus on the representation contract between the agent and the player. But as I mentioned yesterday as well, what can so also be the case is an agent can also represent um, a club as well, sometimes on the sell side, but also sometimes um, on the buy side too. So um, thank you for joining in. Uh, the, the people that have come far and wide from last week to be able to uh, participate and new guys as well. Elan, thanks for coming in and saying hello. Um, as usual, what I wanted to try and do is just break the, the, the talk down into probably just a couple of um, component parts as always. The first is I just want to talk about some of the core rules um, that agents must usually follow. Um, and I set that out a bit in, in Dundee in the book, but also specifically what's actually in a player agent representation contract. That's also one of the most important parts of any um, agency is having a watertight, solid representation contract with um, with their client, if it's the player and or the club. So what I just wanted to do is a little quiz question to start us off. I think what I'm going to try and do is do a quick quiz question um, at the start of every session. Whoever um is quickest to the right answer um can get a free copy of the book if i've got enough copies of the book left hopefully i can do for the run for the rest of the the course <clears throat> so here we go quiz question time from the 2nd of february 2018 to the 31st of january 2019 how much did liverpool pay out to agents over that period so that's the quick question. I'd appreciate it if people don't Google it. Um, hopefully people will either have an idea or can guess. So just to repeat the question, from February 18 till the end of January 19, how much did Liverpool pay by way of agency fees to agents that they were either presumably negotiating with for players um, uh, and renegotiating with for their current players that they had? We're getting some answers in already. I'm going to save that until um, we just start the questions and then we can um, we can go from there. So let me uh, start you off by uh, just talking about um, a few elements um, of the first point I want to talk about, which is some of the core rules that agents must follow. Um, so in, in 2015, FIFA, um, the world governing body, changed its regulation, regulations and actually changed, renamed agents to intermediaries, which I think probably is 
uh, changing back at some point sooner rather than later. But it also introduced new rules for them to abide by. But what it effectively meant was in practice, it was that the responsibility was put on national associations like the Football Association, like Brazil's CBF, etc., to introduce their own regulations to um, effectively um, govern how agents should behave in their territory. Um, now, I can't, for obvious reasons, go on and talk about all of the different regulations that have to be adhered to in lots of different countries. Dr. Eckert's book, I'll just mention it here, actually does a really good job at setting out lots of the different permutations across different leagues. So that's a really good football agency book on the guide on that. All the different types of regulations that are required across lots of different jurisdictions. But um, in me, in my point, at least referencing um, my experience in uh, England more generally, um, there's a few sort of bar, uh, core elements that I think are probably worthwhile touching on. Um, the first is that uh, agents still have to be registered. So if you're going to be used by a Premier League club um, or champion or uh, a football league club or player, um, the agent has to be recognised by the governing body. So um, you, apart from um, having to sign a declaration, and we'll talk about that in a second, um, the agent has to sign has to have a valid representation contract with the club or player and or the player, which usually involves the negotiation of a player contract or and or the transfer of a player's registration. And those contracts, at least for the football association, have to be lodged within 10 days of signing and obviously before a transaction can obviously happen as well. Um, now, from a reputation side, it's not a free pass. Not everybody can be a football agent, but the, the test and the barrier was lowered considerably. Previously, before 2015, football agents had to pass an exam, had to potentially have insurance as well. That exam pass rate was pretty low. All that was required, all that continues to be required at the present time, is the FA's declaration of good character and reputation. Uh, and basically that means is that the proposed agent must sign a declaration confirming, among other things, that they haven't been convicted of certain crimes, haven't been banned from sport, aren't currently disqualified from being a director, um, aren't declared bankrupt, for example. Um, so they are the types of elements that um, fall into um, that category for the, the declaration to be signed. Um, the core element and we'll talk about in terms of the representation contract as well um, is that uh, the FA in its regulations and other football associations did the same, would recommend um, a, a percentage um, that should be paid to the agent by way of commission. Now, the FA recommended at the time that the agent shouldn't be paid more than 3% of the player's income, or in the case of an agent acting for the club, 3% of the actual transfer fee paid. Um, Ultimately, though, the market dictates, and in this sense, agents usually, in my experience as well, tend to be paid between 5 and 10% on particular deals. So um, that recommendation, although is in force, um, and was a force at FIFA level to a degree as well, uh, was only a recommendation. And what we're going to talk about tomorrow in a bit of detail um, is FIFA's recommendations for what they consider um, effectively um, a commission cap should be. And as we talked about previously in the last few days, just by way of recollection, if you're acting for the selling club, 10% up to 10% of the transfer value, um, transfer fee. And if you're working for the buying club and uh, player together, a maximum of 6%. 
Now, one of the points that's also important to note is an agent can enter into a representation contract, um, usually with a slash 15, 16 year old, depending on when in that particular year a 15 or 16 year old um, or 15 year old um, is born. Um, but to enter into a representation contract with a minor, um, that representation contract, that agent has to sign, be signed by the player's parents or legal guardians. And importantly, the agent has to pass an advanced test, basically, to ensure that they're able to work with minors. Um, also, the issue, the important issue is that an agent, until the player reaches 18 in the UK, um, can't be paid for his services. Though usually what happens, and this is almost a complicated factor in the UK or in England especially, um, players can sign professional contracts at 17. Um, so it means effectively that, the, that an agent can't be paid um, commission when the player signs his or her first um, professional deal at 17. It can only be, uh, commission can only be paid once they are 18. Now in practice, what the agent's commission can sometimes be done is backdated. So it can be paid once the player turns 18, but not um, before that. And then one of the other key elements um, that's important to note as well is, at least for the, the football association regulations, that the representation contract can only be for a maximum of two years. And this is a very important point because I, I get it in lots of other countries, it's not the case. You can have certainly longer representation contracts in place. Um, but this is supposedly seeking to strike the right balance between giving the agent long enough to build a relationship um, with the player, but also giving the player a straightforward way out of things if it doesn't, you know, the, the relationship doesn't go to plan. Um, and that can be because the agents can invest years of effort in, you know, building particular relationships with players and then they, they risk the player having their head turned pretty quickly by a competing agent at the, at the most optimal time or, you know, best time for a particular transfer. So, you know, agents have to be willing to put in a real significant amount of time into developing relationships at the beginning, at least for minimal commission, because the player maybe hasn't had the um, on-field success or not. But that is in the hope that in a few years' time, the player moves to a larger club um, and earns a significant amount of money um, accordingly. So um, that's some of the core rules on, um, at least in my experience, in my jurisdiction that I work in, in the UK and England, um, that um, agents have to um, adhere to. Um, so what I want now just to spend five minutes on um, was just talking about what's actually in, what are the main particular important points of a agent player uh, representation contract. So, um, and what I can do afterwards, if any help, or maybe I'll, I'll link it into the next uh, session, is actually um, a template representation contract is actually available on the Football Association's website. So it is possible to see that rep contract. It is pretty uh, basic, it's fair to be said. It's less than, I think, two pages long, but it does cover the essentials. And I'm going to try and cover a few of those essential points now. Um, and then maybe I can link to that um, uh, in the live chat or tomorrow when um, everybody comes on board again. Um, so it goes without saying, obviously, that um, the most fundamental point about a representation contract is making sure that the player's details are right so that the information held by the FA, by UEFA, if there's um, a particular international transfer certificates or FIFA rather, matches the representation contract and all the paperwork being submitted for a transfer or a renegotiation, etc. Um, the second point is... 
as usual, obviously, in the UK, at least for uh, FA um, contracts, is that the maximum of two years is possible. So um, what can sometimes happen, and as has happened in the past, I hear is um, the FA, uh, if a contract is lodged, for example, with them, but it stipulates for a period over two years, um, they will ask um, uh, that they effectively won't agree to that submission of that rep contract because it won't um, uh, effectively be adhering to their own FA regulations. Probably the most important two or three, um, as obviously as the rest of them are, is um, the question of exclusivity. So, you know, agents will want to have exclusivity on um, the scope of the services that they may be providing to their clients. And usually that comes um, uh, within the context of making uh, undertaking transactional work. And transactional work in the FA intermediary regulations is defined as uh, making a transfer um, for the player or renegotiating and or renegotiating um, an employment contract. And it's essential that the agent has exclusivity over that because otherwise another agent can come on board at whatever stage, um, sign up the player to a non-exclusive deal, get the deal over the line and then take the commission. Um, ultimately, what the agent, um, uh, the incumbent agent has to be very sure about is that exclusivity. Now, in other countries, um, exclusivity isn't necessarily um, permitted, and that can cause um, particular problems. But in the under the FA regulations and under English and Wales law, at least, exclusivity is um, permitted for um, uh, representation contracts for a particular period of time. Um, ultimately, that's a really important element to ensure that um, you know, if you are signing up to a representation deal with the player, that they can't just go elsewhere and seek the services um, of someone else. Now, as I mentioned, the next point is um, what's important also to consider is it's not necessarily just on-field um, employment contracts and renegotiations and transfers. Uh, an important element for the agent to have to deal with can also be um, all of the commercial deals. And as we talked about last week with boot deals, um, with image rights related matters, um, you know, an important part of the 360 approach and 360 degree service that agents will be fulfilling for their clients these days is also their off field work. And that's the image rights, boot deals, commercial deals, ambassadorial deals. So it's really important for an agent that they can earn commission, not just from their on field transfer and contract renegotiations, but also from all of those um, commercial agreements. And that enables the player, obviously, to maximise earnings um, on and off the pitch. Um, the important bit to, to note there is, is that, which leads on to the next bit, which is commission and payment. Um, it's important, obviously, to note that the commission rate is set out in that representation contract. The going rate, usually, for negotiating a player's contract or a transfer can be between 3 and 10% of the player's total salary. Um, so have that in mind for on-field, it can be between 3 and 10%. When negotiating commercial deals, a boot deal or a computer games endorsement deal for a player, agents' usual going rate um, um, is around the 20% mark of the value of the deal. And that obviously can be a pretty significant amount of money um, if players are earning um, you know, substantive amounts from um, off-field commercial matters. And... Um, Fortunately or unfortunately, one of the important but pretty essential parts of representation contract is also um, the disputes resolution clause and the jurisdiction clause, which is if things go wrong, 
Um, if the relationship falls apart, if someone wants to end the contract for any particular reason, maybe they have grounds, maybe they don't have grounds, is that usually um, there is a dispute resolution clause which states that all disputes or any disputes will be settled by the national association. And in the Football Association's case, that is usually by the Rule K arbitration process. Rule K is simply the, the, the lettered number in the overall FA handbook that deals with dispute resolution. So Rule K is more or less the basis for that. Um, and uh, usually when there then becomes a dispute, as happens quite regularly between players and agents, the Rule K arbitration path is the route um, that usually things are taken. So uh, we are 16 minutes in. Um, as usual, thanks for listening and putting up. Um, I'm going to now just have a bit of time to answer some um, questions. I'm just going to expand the question list a bit, which is great. Thank you already for those. First of all, I'm just going to go through to see if anyone got the exact amount. Um, so if you remember, the question was between February 18 and January 19, how much did Liverpool pay out um, uh, to agents? So let's just see. We've got 60. 40, uh, 44, 47, 40, 47. Uh, we've got 43.8. We've got, okay, so I think we're there. So the winner is Farhad Al Qadi. So, Farhad, yeah, the actual answer, if you round it up, was £8 million, which is obviously a significant amount of money. Farhad, if you can message me offline, you can get my details. And if you just Google, my my name and share it in this law firm you send me a quick email and i can get a book out to you well done all good right um far you're actually then also the, the first question so uh the question was once the player switches agents in the middle of contract duration how would the previous agent get compensated for the remainder of the contract signed whilst he was an agent it's a great question and it's something that comes up very often um what has happened in the UK, at least in my experience, um, is that if there is an exclusive um, representation contract lodged with the Football Association, a recent rule came in almost a couple of years ago now, which is that if another agent, in order to complete the transaction, a representation contract has to be lodged with the Football Association, otherwise you can't do the deal. Now, <clears throat> if an agent tries to lodge an additional representation contract, in relation to that player with the Football Association and the Football Association look and say um, there's already an exclusive representation contract lodged, then the second representation contract can't be lodged, which means that then at least for the FA in relation to the FA related matters, um, that second agent um, isn't able to lodge that contract, which means he can't act for the player and he can't do the, the deal. The only way that that can effectively be resolved um, tends to be when the uh, the initial agent and the player come to a settlement agreement, and that's not that usual to be fair, by which the um, the player agrees that if they're going to end the first agreement so that the new agent can lodge that representation contract with the football association, that the first agent will be paid a percentage of the fee or the commission that the new agent will potentially get. But that can sometimes get a little bit complicated. Sino, um, apart from agents who handle on-field matters, is there a gap in the market for players 
to have their personal brand and business affairs off the field handled by a company? Great question. Yes. Uh, the short answer is yes. And there's usually quite um, a lot of companies that do that now. Um, in terms of image rights deals we were talking about previously and particular players that want to be able to put their message, their brand, um, their particular passions out there into the wider market. It can sometimes be the case that agents who are traditionally trained as negotiators and networkers, but inside the football work might world might not quite have the same skill set to be able to handle the digital um, brand and creative landscape. So sometimes agents will bring in creatives to be able to work within the larger agency. Or what can sometimes happen um, is that agents will outsource those type of tasks to find commercial deals, to work with the player on his social media profile, to improve the brand visibility, etc. They'll work with those external brands and that image rights company, the player's image rights company, will effectively employ um, that company to do that work. Um, Jamie, uh, can an agent be on both sides of the table? Mendez is an example, being influential for teams like Wolves or Valencia. Um, <clears throat> the short answer at the moment is um, it is possible, and it's a, a strange one it seems at the moment. And usually, there have to be conflict waivers um, that are settled uh, that are entered into before a deal can be done. But an agent can work at present for selling club, buying club, and player. Now, I believe that FIFA are in the midst of changing this because it does seem like there's quite a lot of conflicts um, in play there. And what that will usually mean is the that the agent can only either act for the selling club or the player in the buying club. And even then, there can potentially be some uh, possible conflicts. But I think, yeah, you're right in the question, which is I think it's important to limit the potential conflicts and there's probably change coming. Uh, Javier, um, if you're a registered FA intermediary and, a, and signed a representation contract with a foreign player that does not play in the UK, does the contract still need to be lodged with the FA? Yeah, great question. M my understanding is no, um, it doesn't um, because the player is not playing um, uh, under the jurisdiction. So what you might need to do, though, is depending on what the national association rules are, is follow those regulations to ensure you're in compliance. So if, that, for example, that player is playing in Portugal, um, you might need to be a, a registered Portuguese agent. You may need to register that um, representation contract with the authorities. What will then happen is if that player then moves into the UK and is signed by an elite club or otherwise, then that, then a, um, that representation contract or a new representation contract can then be lodged um, with the FA at that time. Um, Vasilis, uh, thanks for another interesting session. I'd like to ask if there are break clauses in representation contracts and what would usually be the conditions to break such a contract? Uh, yeah, good one. Um, I haven't seen any uh, break clauses in um, representation contracts in the UK, especially because two years sometimes can, can be considered not a huge amount of time. It may also be that depending on the negotiation position of the, the agent, he might not want, he or she might not want to actually have a break clause because it might put them in a weaker position. Now, it might well be that a player and talent and their family may want to consider some type of break clause. Um, but again, that would have to be handled pretty carefully because it then would undermine the agent's position that it might just be that an agent gets a player very close to a, a deal 
a commercial deal or a, a transaction and a, a on-field um, a new contract. And then at the last minute, the, the player um, exercises that break clause, um, goes with another agent and does the deal and then potentially cuts that agent out of the deal. So that's always the worst case scenario that people try and um, agents will try and avoid um, at all costs. Um, Javier, similarly, if you have a mandate from a buying club, uh, sorry, um, yeah, I'd, it's really only representation contracts that need to be uh, lodged with the FA is my understanding. Usually what can sometimes happen is um, mandates and subcontracts can be confused. So um, if there is a subcontract, i.e. you're subcontracting certain intermediary services to um, uh, another intermediary, then that subcontract would have to be lodged with um, the Football Association. Louise, um, what's your opinion on non-federative rep contracts, Daniel? I've seen several agreements where, for instance, parties agree more than two years duration, Swiss law applicable and CAS jurisdiction. Um, well, I guess it can. It's a it's a good question. I'm not sure I know the the answer offhand. I think the um, if the question is um, if a, a football agent is signing up a player, um, usually if they're signing up a player and that player is playing in a particular jurisdiction, they will have to abide by that jurisdiction's intermediary regulations. Um, and so it might well be that it can be for more than two years in particular jurisdictions, that's right. It can possibly be that they can contract Swiss law and cast jurisdiction that depends on the national jurisdiction too. So um, yeah, there's a re an array of possibilities. Um, it is a possibility to do for more than two years and to have those different jurisdiction clauses. Um, but if, for example, it is in the uh, England and Wales territory in the FA, there are certain prerequisites that are um, um, that are have to be permitted, basically. Um, Mazar, so uh, the process for a dispute resolution is national FA decision contested at CAS, or is it a national court of law? Great question too. Um, again, it depends on the different jurisdictions, um, but what can um, usually occur is. In, in, in my instance, is that if um, the, the national dispute resolution process is um, exhausted and um, a party isn't happy with that initial decision, then depending on what the regulations say, there can be an appeals body within that national association or it can be appealed to a body like CAS, for example. Um, Arya, you might not know this, but is Zahar an example of someone that ended his representation with um, sold house early to get Zavi representing him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, unfortunately. Um, there can be lots of different ways to potentially terminate a representation contract. Um, but in the end, ultimately, um, some of these matters are end up in disputes, like going through a Rule K dispute, and then the parties either have to come to a commercial conclusion, i.e. settle and decide how money is potentially split up, or take all the way to court um, and decide whether it's been uh, whether it's legal to be able to terminate the representation contract or alternatively it hasn't been deemed legal and termination should not have um, rather damages should be awarded um, and then the the natural consequences there can be payment of particularly potentially large um, terms. Uh, James do you think the agents should make it clear and show proof of the work they do for players? Do agents take a higher fee ever for lower wages? Um, two really interesting questions. Um, 
do they just make it clear and show proof of the work they do for the players? Ultimately, what what happens a lot of the time is there are hands-on players and hands-off players. There's plenty of hands-off players that all they want to make sure, quite rightly so, is that when there's a deal to be done, that the agent can get the deal. Things to be problem-solved or troubleshooting, that they are there to be able to help. There are other things to be problem-solved or troubleshooting, that they are there to be able to help. There are other players, obviously, that need a much more hands-on approach, that need a lot more help day-to-day and dealing with dealing with whatever is um, cropping up at that particular time. Um, so they, I don't think it's necessarily showing proof. It's just effectively showing the day-to-day contact, making sure that you're available, making sure you're doing the right things and making sure that you're you know, investing enough time um, in the relationship. Um, do agents sometimes take a higher fee for lower wages? That can sometimes be the case. Um, agents can um, ask for a higher percentage um, uh, in particular cases, but usually the market average tends to be around 5%. Harun? Um, what further regulations would you su- suggest to the FA to introduce to help regulate the agents market to ensure that players are represented by people who are qualified to do so? That's a great question. Um, I think I think one or two of the um, areas of reform at the moment are very important. I think it's pretty vital for all agents to understand the rules and the regulations. So I think the agents exam um, is very important. Um, and the declaration at the moment as well is uh, an important element of that as well. So my view is is that uh, maybe uh, the exam and then ongoing learning to make sure people um, and ag- or rather agents understand the market um, and the rules and make sure they can adhere to the rules is probably one of the most important parts. Francesco, um, is it necessary to be registered across different countries, FAs as an agent? Or valid representation should be enough to carry out business. Yeah, it's this is one of the big issues that occurred when um, FIFA deregulated the, the agents market, the intermediary market, um, back in 2015, and it meant effectively that you needed and needed to um, register um, in different countries depending on where you were doing deals. Some countries allow a sort of um, bilateral approach that if you're registered in one country, then we'll be fine to register in another. There's plenty of other countries that have pretty stringent registration requirements. So one of the things that I know is on the table for the FIFA reforms is that you almost have an intermediary passport, which is when you pass the exam, which is likely to come in at some point, um, then you have the ability to be able to work across the globe, depending on certain national laws and regulations. So, yeah, it's exactly right. It's been a real problem for a lot of agents that may be doing a deal from the UK to Italy or from France to Germany, and they may need to be uh, registered um, and regulated by a number of football associations at different times. Uh, Alex. Um, uh, are there any? Are there currently a minimum fee that must be paid to agents, and will this change under the new FIFA proposals? Yeah, there's no minimum fee. There's a maximum, um, which looks like FIFA are implementing, subject to, to further consultation. So we'll talk a bit about that tomorrow. Because what we're going to talk about is how agents are actually paid, um, which is a whole conversation in itself. Um, so that's that. Um, great question. So we're at 30 minutes, just after 30 minutes. Uh, I just wanted to do my usual, which is a couple of um, recommendations. So my book recommendation for the day, even though I haven't finished it at the moment, um, is this book by um, Thomas Erickson, which is um, Surrounded by Idiots. Um, 
I've started reading it. It's literally blowing my mind simply because um, it's talking about trying to group people into four different types of um, uh, characters and character traits. And what I was going to mention is on page 13, I think it was, um, talking about those different characters, which are effectively red is dominant, yellow is inspiring, green is stable, and blue is analytical, and how best to deal with different people with different types of um, uh, behavioral traits. So that's a read. I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Highly recommend it. Um, and that's my book recommendation for the day. Um, thanks for joining me as always thanks for listening you can follow me on twitter tiktok and instagram at football law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundee football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch, and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.